Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. All right. So if you don't know, C.S. Lewis wrote an incredible series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia, and one of the best ones that he released in that series was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Why it's the best? Well, it's the gospel, pure and simple. This is the way the book goes. If, if, uh, if you've been living under a tree and you have never read or watched the movie, super duper spoiler alerts coming your way. Uh, it's, it's been over 50 years, so uh, I, think, I think it's about time you heard about it. So here's, here's how the story goes. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe follows the story of four siblings, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy Pevensey. They are living in London during World War II. They get sent to the countryside for safety to live in a professor's house. While they're living in the professor's house, they play a game of hide-and-seek. And while they're playing hide-and-seek, Lucy sneaks into this room where there's nothing but a wardrobe. And whenever she enters the wardrobe, it's full of these big coats. And she sneaks to the back of the coats, and as she goes further and further, she starts to feel branches and cold. And she walks into a whole new world beyond this realm. And as she goes, she sees the lamppost at the beginning of this world or the end of our world, whichever you prefer. And at the lamppost, she meets a fawn named Mr. Tumnus. And Mr. Tumnus uh, is a half goat dude who, uh, it gets better, it gets better, who, uh, who lives in Narnia and he takes her to his home, warms her up, gives her tea, they enjoy some time together, and he puts her to sleep using a magical song. And apparently, while she's asleep, he calls on the ruler of Narnia at the time, the supposed ruler of Narnia, the wicked white witch. And it is her fault, her doing, and the absence of Aslan the lion that has sent Narnia into a hundred years of winter. And there is a prophecy that people would come, children, two boys and two girls, into Narnia to reclaim the throne from the White Witch. And so, any human that comes into Narnia is required to be sent to the queen so that they can be taken care of. But when Lucy wakes up, Mr. Tomnus has a change of conscience. He realizes he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, and he whisks her away back to where she belongs. They go back to the lamppost. She goes back into the world, and she's only been gone a moment. She tries to tell her brothers and sisters about what happened, but they have a hard time believing her because she's the youngest, and what a crazy story to tell, right? And so... As they go on, they try again, and Edmund goes in, 
and Lucy goes in again with them. They separate ways. Lucy looking for, for Mr. Thomas to see if he's okay. She goes to his house. He's not there. Edmund goes off on his own and runs into the queen, the white witch. And she gives him Turkish delight, which is what he wanted, what his heart desired. And if you've ever had Turkish delight, I've never had a good Turkish delight. So I don't get it. But that's what he wants more than anything. And so she provides it for him. He fills his belly, and that's what he wants. He, he uh, gives up Mr. Thomas. He gives up uh, the facts that, that he, has, he has siblings, and he's going to bring them back to the white witch because he doesn't really care about his family. He just wants sweeties. So Lucy goes back, and Edmund goes back, and they all enter back into the wardrobe, and they all go in together. And they enter into Narnia. And they go on a journey to figure out what their place is in this land. This prophecy that's been there all this time that they would be the ones to release the land from a hundred years of winter and return it to where it's supposed to be. They follow some, some beavers through treacherous territory. All the while, they notice that slowly but surely, the winter is receding and spring is coming. And as they walk, Edmund goes his own way and he finds the witch and she ends up locking him up until he gives away their location the children hear about, the, the other three children hear about Aslan's army. Aslan, the lion, this figure of great power who is going to restore the balance of all things to where it's supposed to be and reclaim the throne with them in glory. They hear about this army that's gathering together and they go to it. They want to rescue their brother Edmund from prison and they want to make it home. And they want, more than anything, to save Narnia. And as they walk along, they, they go, they're going towards this army. They see a carriage in the distance pulled by these deer. And they think, oh no, it's the white witch. She's coming. And so they take cover and they hide. But whenever the carriage draws nearer, it's actually a sleigh. And sitting on the sleigh is Santa Claus. And he declares that Christmas is back in Narnia. And he gives them the craziest thing Santa's ever given anyone. Weapons. Right? So he gives Susan a bow, an arrow. He gives uh, Lucy this, like, dagger. And uh, he gives Peter this, this great sword, and he says, these are not toys, they're tools. That Santa's pretty hardcore. As C.S. Lewis keeps writing, he, he leads the children into Aslan's army, and they meet the great lion, and they see his goodness and his ferocity, and they see that this is the hope we have to, to win Narnia back and to get Edmund back. 
while they're in the army training for a great battle, Edmund breaks free from the army of the queen and runs into the camp and they reclaim him and they circle around him and they, they love on him and they forgive him. It's this beautiful moment of forgiveness. But not too much later, the queen rides into the camp and declares that she has claim on the blood of the son of Adam, Edmund. And she goes to have talks with Aslan, the lion. And while they're in that tent, Aslan strikes a deal with the queen. He says, I'm going to trade my life for his. So the queen takes Aslan that night. The, he, he walks himself to where she is, to this great stone table to be placed on it and to be slain. And Lucy and Susan walk behind him, walk with him, and he goes to the table and the queen drives her dagger into his heart on the stone table and slays the great lion. And Susan and Lucy, whenever all the party of, of the evil forces has gone, go to Aslan, to his body. And this is what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing is ever going to happen again. And in the stillness, they know the pain of loss. Peter and Edmund and the remaining army of Aslan gather the troops and ready themselves for war. And they go and they stand on the front lines and Peter raises his sword and he says, for Narnia and for Aslan. And they rush and they go to start battle. And I'd love to tell you that that their preparation and that their hard work is what brought them victory. But guess what? They start to lose. They start to lose that battle. They start to lose until, until this happens. Video plays from The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe of Aslan, Resurrection on the Stone Table. Ooh, that's great, yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know what I had just agreed to, but yeah, that just happened. All right. I mean, come on. No one ever blamed C.S. Lewis uh, for being too subtle. Uh, it's very obvious what's happening here. From there, Aslan and Lucy restore everyone who fell to the queen to full health and to life. They win the battle. They take down the white queen. And peace and spring 
return to Narnia. There's a few lessons that I want our seniors and all of us to take from this retelling of the gospel. The first is this. There is something more to our reality waiting beyond the wardrobe. If you crack open your Bible, you enter into a world where there is a whole new set of possibilities, where, where you don't just stay a regular human being, you become royalty, a king and a queen, heirs to the throne. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set, right? And that's the way it is. That's the way it was before Christ came. We were children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that, we, that, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. There is a throne for you to inherit through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And as you walk this world, you will have the opportunity to be the army of God that he's called you to be, to wear the crown of glory as Christ did. A crown of glory that Christ wears is not a crown of glory like those the world has to offer. It is a crown that shows that you are willing to sacrifice yourself for others as well because that is the way of our king. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. You get to go on a journey in a way that leads you to an inherit your throne. You're walking from the comfort of everything that you've ever known right now into a new territory where your faith will need to matter more than it ever has in your life you will be asked to push your faith to the limits. And if you hold fast to it, the crown of glory waits for you. The throne of God waits for you.
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life here on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Here's the important part. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether slave or free. God equals the playing ground for all people in the body of Christ. And he does that for us. He does that for us so that we can inherit the goodness of his glory. Remember the tools that you've been given to fight these battles. It goes on, goes on to, to talk about what we've been given to fight. These tools are not toys. God has provided for you everything you need to work for him and his glory in faith. Another lesson that we want you to gain from, from this great telling of the gospel is sometimes you might feel like Edmund, like you've betrayed the Lord, like you are in sin, and that nothing, nothing can reclaim you. Let me give you the best piece of advice that I got whenever I was graduating. This dear lady uh, came to me and she said, Carter, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up a lot. Always remember, always remember that you can come back. That this place and this God will never abandon you. Not whenever you're at your lowest low. You always have the Lord and you will always have the church. Remember that the lion who took the place of the traitor takes your place as well and is your advocate before the throne of God. I have so much more to say, but we are running out of time. I just want to leave you with one more piece of wisdom before we call you guys up on stage. Your kingdom will be built around what you desire the most. What matters to you most will not be the things that are given to you or handed to you. That's just not how we value things. Anything that you just get without working for it is always going to be second place to the things that you've earned and the things that you've placed your blood, sweat, and tears into. God's kingdom requires you to place your own interests aside for the interests of others so that you can work for the kingdom of God. Pour yourself into the things that matter in life so they become the things that matter most to you. 
all other kingdoms that you build in this world will be demolished. They will wash away like sand. Remember the wise man who built his house on the rock? You have the opportunity to build your life on the thing that matters most. The kingdom of God. God has a work for you to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We're going to skip all the way to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 because I'm going to skip all those slides, guys. You got this. I believe in you. Here we go. Yes. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Belief is not a work, by the way. You don't have to work for your salvation, but you do have to believe in God, right? You do have to believe in it. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We believe so he can put us to task. He has a purpose and a place for us in this kingdom to do his will, his good and perfect will. Pursue him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Give your best to him. And in valuing him, you will desire him. And in desiring him, you will inherit his glory. Give your full devotion to the things that matter most. And they will be what matters to you. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on news and other events, visit southplains.org. We also extend special thanks to our countless volunteers who make all of our ministries possible. And remember, engage, lead, and celebrate others.